he's referred to as the man in the back of the room and introduced as the voice of God. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, given Tony and Grammy award-winning celebrities direction, and lectured scads of students. But as he likes to point out, the event entertainment expert you don't know, you don't know, Anthony Bellata. And Bellatified. friends, and welcome to another episode of Bellotified, the one and only podcast about event, entertainment, and engagement. I'm Anthony Bellotta. I'm here as I am every week with the one and only Alex Apostolidis. Hi, Alex. Hi. I don't know if it's appropriate to say happy Memorial Day, but happy Memorial Day. Oh. Even huh. though it was yesterday. Yes. Um, yes. Let's salute Memorial Day. Yeah. Shall we? Yes. Yeah. I have yes. a lot of military family, so, you know. Yes. The military is indeed our family. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a long weekend, and that mm-hmm. was really kind of nice, I think, to uh, have a the extra Monday sometimes just helps. Yes? Yeah. I, I was home in bed sick, so... Oy, 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 oy. Yeah. You're kidding Sorry. me. No. No. Oh, I hear it now. Yeah. I hear it now. I'm either going to sound like a squeak toy or a truck driver. Either oh. way, it'll either be I, this or it'll be this. I, like I don't know both. what's going to come out. I like them both. Yes. So is this a summer cold? Yeah. So just, <coughs> excuse me. Sorry, guys. Yeah. It's literally just, it's the first cold I've had since December of 2018. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I've tested. I'm fine. I've done home COVID tests and they keep coming up negative. So it's just a cold. You know, no fever. Does it? You, no. If you had a fever. Yeah. So um, interestingly, I just had my fourth, my second booster. So my fourth shot on uh, Wednesday of last week against COVID. And um, I don't, think that I have been sick since before COVID. Even, I mean, knocking on wood. Yeah. Which is odd, which is kind of odd, right? I mean, of course, you know, we weren't around people in 2020, so that kind of makes sense, but I don't know. It's kind of weird, you know, maybe I've got- Yeah. You're Superman. You're Iron Man. Superman! (laughs) You're Spider-Man. How many other mans are there? Iron um, Man. Uh, Iron Man. Iron Blood. You're, you're all the mans. I'm all the manses. You're all the manses. Yeah. So I'm um, sorry <laughs> you're you're uh, um, you're having a summer cold because it is yeah. gorgeous outside. I, I have know. to say it is. I it know. was a, a really nice weekend for as much as we could and did spend outside, uh, and. Uh, it was a busy weekend, I think. People were out and about, it felt. Yes. To me, picnicking and doing whatnot. I was out and about Sunday. And well, Saturday I had class all day, so that was four and a half hours. Um, but uh, yeah, I was out and about and it was beautiful. And I was so grateful that Sunday was a sunny day. Yes, yes, as was yesterday. Yeah, it was. And I I had all sorts of plans 
Um, yeah, well, actually, my plans were to go through the house and start tagging what we're going to garage sale, what we're going to keep, what we're going to give. But it was a plan. <laughs> but I thought, no, I need to stay away from people. That would be the responsible thing to do since my daughter has finals this week and then graduates next week. So can't be yes. around people. I have to be right. responsible. Right, right. Yeah, that graduation's coming up. How was her? Uh, okay, now I, I'm realizing. How was her grad night? It was great. Um, they were an hour late getting back. So we didn't hit the road back from Newport Beach until almost four in the morning, which is probably where all this came from, because I think I had about three hours of sleep in about 36 hours. Yeah. So I'm sure that's where this all came from. Just yeah. sheer exhaustion. Yeah. Yeah. But I, she had fun. Good, 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 good. Yeah. You're, you're a good mommy. Uh, well, she's yeah. easy to be good too. Yeah. Even even on those rare occasions where I'm like, child, do not speak to me that way. <laughs> <laughs> she was very she was so tired on the way home when I picked her up and they were the last kids to get for us. We were literally a third of the mile from and, you know, David wanted to get coffee. And so, all right, well, we got to go. We got to go. He's like, oh, there's plenty of time. Well, they they were the last to be picked up. And I said, have you been waiting long? And she looked at me, she goes, we're the last ones here, aren't we? And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I said, that is not what I asked you, is it? I asked you, have you been waiting long? And that <laughs> was all I needed to say. And she knew. Mama did a lot for you today. <laughs> Including paying for a very expensive hotel room so that I could work, so I could take you here. So right. uh, I think we need to button that attitude right up. And she did. And Good she for her. She was just tired, poor kid. Yeah, yeah. She was tired. She was tired from having fun all day. She was. And night, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad I did not. I mean, I, I'm so glad that she's underage and I had to do that because I would not have felt comfortable with her driving home at four in the morning as exhausted as they were. So it all worked out perfectly. Goody, 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 goody. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, and we had a great event at UCI. Uh, there are lots oh, good. of girls. It was really, I love being with the, the UCI people. They're very gracious and uh, it's always enjoyable to meet them and to get to know them. And there's such, such fascinating, fascinating people there um, who have graduated from the university and are being honored by their alumni association for their research service or teaching and uh it's remarkable i meet some really truly incredible people I'm, i met a, a woman who uh graduated from medical school in 1972. wow she was uh one of only 10 percent of women 10 percent of the graduates were women of which she was one that year in of med school. And some of those women had to apply to more than two dozen schools to get accepted to one. So just, you know, amazing stories. And I think we have an amazing story ahead. We're going to meet somebody. So our guest today, as I'm learning about him, he, really amazing man, keynote speaker,
performance coach, author, podcast host, and founder of MindShift Labs. He's built an international basketball team. He built this from his college apartment while battling anxiety and depression, which right there says a lot about him. Um, He is drawing on the latest research from neuroscience, sports psychology, and personal experience, and he helps people find their own inner power and poise to thrive in business and life, teaches them how to lock in on the task at hand in the middle of chaos, which we could all use, right, and uses an inside-out approach to personal transformation and career fulfillment. He's all about mindfulness, and I'm really excited about this. So please welcome Mike Lee. Hey, Mike, Mike. How you doing, man? Nice to see you again. It's been a minute. It has. Good to see you. Yes, yes. Uh, so I'm just going to start right off the bat. What what drove you to MindShift Labs? What 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 happened in your life that that became MindShift Labs? It's been a journey, you know. I. Back when I think I was probably about 25 years old, I had my bas- uh, basketball training company where we worked with middle school through NBA uh, basketball players and coaches. And I was about 25 years old. And I was reading a book by Jim Rohn, who is a uh, leadership expert, keynote speaker in the, in the business space, uh, super popular in the 80s and uh, in the 90s. He was actually Tony Robbins' first mentor. Now Tony Robbins got into you know who he is today. And I was reading a book by him and I thought, wow, what an unbelievable life to just share my life experiences and to go around the world and and speak in front of audiences and write books. That'd be unbelievable. But the problem was I was 25 years old. And so I I needed to go out into the world and and to do something first. And so I, I built this basketball training company we worked with, you know, as, as I mentioned, you know, tens of thousands of middle school through NBA basketball players uh, across the world. But I battled with depression my whole life. And this company was based in Wisconsin. And the type of depression that I, I dealt with was called seasonal affective disorder. And essentially, mm-hmm. it's due to the, uh, the lack of sunlight. A lot of people, anybody, listeners on here from uh, the Midwest or the uh, or the Northeast, or maybe even some of the May gray and June gloom you get in Southern California can maybe relate a little bit, but it would affect me uh, pretty severely. I'm talking, I wouldn't get out of bed till three or four o'clock in the afternoon type of depression sometimes. So I got to a point where I just decided that I, I couldn't do another winter. And I picked up and I moved to Los Angeles purely for the weather. And I got out here and it was January, it was sunny out and I was feeling amazing and decided to get off an antidepressant medication that I'd been on at that point for about 14 years. And getting off of it threw my, my body and brain into a state of chronic emotional instability. And I just couldn't get present. I was constantly in the future worrying about really in fear, right, of, of just so many things, even irrational things, or I was stuck in the past and I couldn't get in the present moment. And so I dove deep into meditation and into mindfulness. And I realized that all the principles that I was teaching on the basketball court and teaching to coaches who, who were trying to lead and, and develop the potential within their players, all of these skills were elevated. 
skills like our ability to, to focus, to, to lock in on goals, to be able to develop relationships, to be able to communicate, our empathy and compassion. Uh, all of these skills are elevated when you have a, a mindfulness practice. And I realized through, through this journey that I, at that point, instead of building basketball players, the next phase of my life was going to be building leaders. And that, is, that led me to creating MindShift Labs and into the work that I'm doing today. And you've worked with some notables through MindShift Labs, right? <laughs> uh, some notable companies and, and people. Uh, what kind of results have you driven through those uh, entities? I think at its core, it's really sharing mindsets, strategies, exercises for people to maybe think a little bit differently about something and to really empower themselves and take ownership in, in who they are as a leader, who they are as, as a contributor uh, within their work. And, and um, I think a lot of it is figuring out who you, who you actually are and then being able to share that with the world and how that, how that impacts your work and, and the people that you're leading. Uh, I think a lot of it is around you know, finding, finding purpose, finding a crystal clear vision, and then being able to lock in on, on a process in order to, to really bring that to life. Mm. I think I've uh, heard the phrase or read the phrase, living, living your values uh and being able to live them openly and and i would imagine that's a part of mindfulness it's is there a definition for mindfulness a straightforward definition for it there's a lot of them uh the one that i've kind of settled on is the it's a skill i look at mindfulness as a skill and for me it's the the non-judgmental awareness of our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions in the present moment. And the, the key is really in that it is non-judgmental and awareness. And if we can just operate with more non-judgmental awareness, uh, that's going to impact our relationships. It's going to impact how we navigate adversity and change. Uh, it's going to navigate or it's going to help uh, impact our, our ability to just show up every day for the people that we're working with in a way that is uh, relatable, in a way that is can connect to them, because uh, we're aware of our own emotional state. And, uh, you know, that, that's one thing that drives a lot of the, uh, the, the impact within a relationship is just how, what emotional state do I have when, I, when I'm showing up for people? And with, the, with awareness, with a mindfulness practice, we can create that awareness of how we actually are showing up. Um, Do you find that you're able to reframe very quickly now? Like, you know, oh, I'm having this. I forgive myself. Let's reframe it. Let's turn it around. Yeah, I think uh, you brought up an important point because I think you know, <laughs> reframing is a, is a super powerful mm -hmm. technique, right? Uh, to be able to work with with our own inner world and uh, you know it's the challenge is though we can't reframe anything unless we have awareness first right right and the awareness piece it's like everybody's like well yeah I'm aware it's like 
Mm. Are you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a skill, right? It's a skill that you have yes. to cultivate. It's a skill that you have to practice. And uh, you know, it's I did a talk last week, and one of the questions that came up in the the Q and A afterwards was, how do you, you know, how would you advise people to create more of this awareness and more of this mindfulness? And you know, the answer is the one that nobody wants to hear. And it's, you got to practice. It's like somebody coming to you saying, Hey, I want, I want to drop 20 pounds and I, I want to get a better body and I want to have more energy uh, because I want to lose some of this weight that I'm carrying around, but I don't want to work out. I don't want to eat better. I don't want to be aware of the choices. I don't want to limit my alcohol. I didn't, right. I don't want to sleep better all these things that, that will impact that. And it's, it's a practice just like anything else that, that you have to, you have to commit to if you want to see results from it. And would you say that practice is about digging past the surface of what we feel and better understanding what's triggering that and, you know, how it is we can nullify the, the, the triggers I think that's that's definitely part of it, and that's definitely a benefit of it. Uh, I think the practice is really, really that awareness first. And I think you know, but at, at a deeper level, yeah, it's the awareness, and then it's being able to ask yourself. I don't remember what the title of this exercise is, but you're essentially, you know, the problem is usually never the problem. Right. The problem that we think is a problem is usually never the problem. And we have to be able to get to those, those deeper layers and just continually ask ourselves why, you know, it's like, well, why do you want that? And they'll give you an answer. That's like a very surface level answer. It's like, well, why do you want to make more money? And when you get to the root of it, you know, then you, then you really can figure out uh, what is, what's the driving force behind that. Right. Right. So you have to be aware of the feeling first, right? Of what it is you're feeling. And then you have to probe a bit to understand why it is you're feeling that way, to have a true <clears throat> understanding of what makes you tick as an individual, or at least to start the understanding. Because then we have things that happen that are unexpected, right? That uh, those surprise little triggers that pop up and I would assume that if you're mindful in the way that you're practicing life daily, when those bigger triggers come up, they're easier, they're more manageable as well. Is that a yeah, fair statement? One, yeah, 100%. I think one of the challenges that people have with, uh, with mindfulness is that they only try to practice it when the big things show up. And the truth is, you know, you need to develop, it's like, uh, I'm trying to think of an analogy, but it's learning, you know, learning to crawl before you walk, really, mm -hmm. right? It's like, you can't just stand, you know, kid just is born and a week later, you pop them up and try to get them to walk. You, you have to develop, develop those skills. And, uh, you know, one of the challenges that I had when I first started was, I knew all the research, I knew all the science behind it. I, I knew all of the studies but yet I wouldn't commit to it consistently. And what I was, was a crisis meditator. I wasn't a, a <laughs> um, I wasn't a proactive meditator. 
And so I, something would really stress me out and I'd get out my headphones and I'd pop in headspace and I'd, I'd take 10 or take 20 or take 30 minutes to, to meditate. And what I, what I realized was that I'm, I'm reacting not only to the, uh, to the event that just showed up, the stressor that just showed up. I'm also, you know, now I'm also behind the eight ball because I have to go into this practice. Whereas if I would just train myself to be more aware, I might not get so far down the road. I would create more awareness immediately when you start to feel that because you create more awareness of not only your thoughts, but, you know, your body is also a messenger as well. So I I can create more awareness of, you know, well, what is that, that tightness in my chest or that feeling in my neck or whatever it is, and be able to then investigate that and really learn to trust and honor, uh, not just, not just what you're thinking about, but what you're feeling as well. And uh, sometimes that that's more important, right? Sometimes we can't, uh, we can't get to clarity in our minds, uh, with something immediately, but if we feel it in our body, you know, that that's usually a sign as well, that maybe this isn't, isn't the right thing, or maybe this is going to, this is a trigger for me now. And it's, if I don't stop and pause and break this pattern right now, an hour from now, it's going to blow up into something else or a week from now or a year from now. Mm. I just purchased a book called Metaphysical Anatomy, and it speaks on that very thing about uh, going into anything physical that you're experiencing and finding the emotional uh, equivalent of it and the self-talk equivalent of it and what is happening intellectually, emotionally, spiritually that's causing the physical reaction to help you get to the core and the root so that you can then switch it around. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's definitely, you know, I think it's so important for us to, you know, we are, we live in this, in this world where we're taught to uh, dissociate from mm-hmm. our bodies and just push through all the, un- the uncomfort and the, and the pain and the stress and everything. And, uh, you know, all the research shows that that you know, long-term it is detrimental and, yes it just takes a toll on our health. And obviously like, you know, we have to be able to show up for ourselves and be able to take care of ourselves first. We want to lead other people. And I think, uh, and even if that's just leading your family, right. And so mm-hmm. I think the, uh, you know, to, to honor that, to learn, to honor what you're feeling. And I think, uh, I think sensitivity is, is a gift. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a curse. And uh, you just have to learn how to channel it and, and create your own boundaries uh, with that. Um, but I, I think, you know, that's, that's a conversation I think we're starting to have. Uh, and hopefully it's going to be more in the future. So you, you have developed a, a practice through meditation. Is that the only way to achieve mindfulness? Uh, is are there is is the art of self reflection any part of this as well? Yeah, it's you know everybody's got their different process with it, and I think the the key is getting to that getting to that skill 
or creating that, that state where you are operating with more of that non-judgmental awareness. And so I think there's, there's, different, there's different avenues for everybody. And uh, you know, one of the, I'll share, a, I guess, a short personal story, but several years ago, I was, when I first got, <laughs> when I first got into meditation and, and mindfulness and everything, it's like, it had such an impact in my life. I was a bit- uh, Zealous? I would have, I was a bit preachy about it <laughs> and, and, and I, and I learned uh, through, I was dating a girl five or six years ago and she was going through some stuff and she was pretty stressed out and I was trying to get her to, uh, trying to get her to meditate. And on what I realized though, was, you know, everybody's got their own, own path to this. And, you know, one, what she did is she would go on these long runs, five, six, seven, eight miles long, but no music, no headphones, nothing. And uh, it, was, it was her meditation. And I think um, that, and she was one of the most self-aware people that, that I've met in my life. And so I think everybody's got their path to it. And I think um, you have to figure out what works for you. Mm -hmm. But I think the, the key is, you know, Yoga is a great way to create. I, I think yoga is a great transition for somebody who wants to start a uh, start a practice because it is a it's a physical practice, right? And you're it's a it's a moving meditation. It's not easy to sit there for ten minutes, fifteen minutes, twenty yeah. minutes, and just be with your thoughts <clears throat> and not and not uh, get attached to them and mm -hmm. go down this path of rumination. That's why I think self reflection is really difficult. Uh, I think there's got to be some, some, and it hasn't really ever worked for me. I think my, my form of self-reflection has been through journaling. Um, but I think it, it can be, it can be powerful, but I think the challenge is that, you know, you get, you can easily go down that path of, of rumination. And it's like, well, what's, what's the, uh, the line between rumination and self-reflection. And I think, uh, unless you have trained yourself in order to really detach and be able to be the observer, be the witness of your thoughts instead of becoming your thoughts, um, it's difficult to do. Um, but I think, every, you know, again, everybody's path, I think, is different. I think yoga, I think running are, are two great examples. Um, the other thing that I, I would say with that is, you know, what's, you can also use other practices, I think, to, to be able to do that. Um, you know, there's, I, I don't personally use any of these, but like uh, Tai Chi or Qigong or some of these other mm -hmm. uh, Eastern practices. Uh, but also, you know, I think it's the, it's the intention around it. And it's like, am I going to this workout class to escape what I'm dealing with right now? Or am I going to it to, to, uh, create more clarity around what I'm dealing with mentally, right? And, and with that, I think, you know, a lot, of, a lot of meditation, a lot of the gurus will tell you that you should, uh, you should meditate first thing in the morning when you get up. And I think if you're somebody who's, who's dealing, A, if you've dealt with trauma in your life, B, you're dealing with a lot of stress in your life right now, uh, it's really difficult in, to, to get up and start meditating right away. Um, yep. and it, it might not be the best way to start your day. And so what I, I, I uh, advise people to do, I, I kind of just 
came to this realization on my own when I first started teaching was I was, I was meditating in the mornings without working out. And then for whatever reason I did, I maybe, I think I missed a meditation during the day and I went to get a workout in and afterwards I decided to work out. And I was like, wow, the, the state that is created because of the endorphins released and all the, all the chemicals released after you go through a workout, you essentially, you can think of the equivalent of runner's high, right? That's actually probably the best play, best time for somebody to start a meditation practice, get some movement in, get some exercise in, and then build that into your routine instead of trying to do it immediately when you get up in the morning. And when you're meditating, you're, you're focused on your breath. Uh, what is it, what is it that people are supposed to think about, not think about what's that practice like? Yeah. So the first thing that I would say is get an app or a teacher that is, is guided. Um, my, and I'll answer your question, but my cousin, so my cousin used to work for uh, a publishing house called Shambhala and they used to, or they, they publish a lot of the like Buddhist authors. So she'd send me all these books. I was, I was young. I think I was like 18, 19 years old. I'm like reading this stuff. And I, I kind of understood some of it in theory, but whenever I try to do any of it on my own, it was just like, you, you read the instructions. It's like for the first three minutes, do this. And then the next five minutes, do this. And then, and so it's, it's really difficult to be going back and forth and having to uh, follow the instructions with something like that. And so my, my first, my, where I'm going with this is, is get an app, get something that's guided that you can have somebody walk you through it. Uh, I've used Headspace. I have no affiliation mm -hmm. with them at all. Uh, I think uh, they do a great job yeah. of teaching mindfulness and teaching meditation from the standpoint of a, a, uh, a skill, not a, they take a lot of all the dogma out of it, uh, which you might not get with other, with other apps like um, Insight Timer or things like that. Um, but it's simple. Like it's, it really, mindfulness is training your mind. It's training your attention. It's training your awareness. It's training your focus. And the way you can do that, you know, a, a common practice is really to, to sit, to focus on any sounds that you hear in your environment and just let them come in and let them come out. And then Focus on your body and kind of scan down from the top of your head all the way through your toes and just create awareness of what you're feeling in those places uh, in your body. And then to just let that go and be the observer of your breath and just follow your breath in and follow your breath out. And anytime that your mind drifts from any of those focal points, the sounds in your environment, your, the scan that you're doing through your body or from your breath, that's your, that's the practice is to catch yourself and then bring yourself back to that focal point. And that's what creates the, the self-awareness, right? That's like getting a rep in. I like to, mm -hmm. to use that analogy and go to the gym and I got to get, you know, 20 reps of this exercise, 20 reps of the next exercise. Every time you catch yourself and bring yourself back to the focal point, that's like getting a rep. And uh, I think there's a, 
there's a, a misconception around mindfulness from the standpoint that people think that it's a, it's a tool to train your focus. And it is, it is for sure. But the key is really not sustained focus. One of my, a good friend of mine is a performance psychologist for a lot of NBA uh, players and teams. He said, it's not so much about sustained focus. It's about sustained awareness because the distractions are going to come. The disruptions are going to come throughout the day. And it's really about being able to create the awareness of when my mind drifts and then being able to redirect my attention and energy back to the focal point. Mm. Right. And I think that's the, that's really the, the power in it is that, because if you can do that, then you, then you can focus. Uh, so, but that's, you know, in a nutshell, it's a practice. It's your sit, it's your body sounds and your breath. And then you're just training your, your mind to focus on those, uh, on those points. If I wanted to start a practice tomorrow, what would you say to me in terms of how long I should invest in the, the meditation itself? How long should I give it in terms of time? Uh, just starting out. As far as like how much time you want to spend on it per day or how many, how long you want to commit to doing it, to try it out and using air quotes. In terms of what's, um, what's a realistic commitment per time per day uh, yeah. that would constitute somebody really starting a practice and not just sort of, because I think I it's, a, you. it's, you know, it's a state that we, we, uh, we aspire to right and so you don't just sort of sit in it and it's there it requires this sort of as you say these reps coming back yeah. right yeah there's a lot of studies on this actually and I, I don't know them exactly off off the top of my head but i know there's a lot that show even in a week at i believe either 10 or 20 minutes mm -hmm. a day changes start to actually happen in your brain physical changes start to happen in your brain and so now i don't i think 10 minutes a day to start out is probably a good starting point for most people and that might seem short but the reality of it is is you know the science shows you don't need to to be doing it for 30 40 50 minutes a day you can get some pretty profound changes. I mean, I remember when I first started, I was doing 10 minutes a day and it was about two months in that I, I realized I had some pretty profound experiences. I had um, experienced a, a deep and profound sense of inner peace that had been completely foreign to me. Mm. And out of that, I had a lot of realizations about, about uh, my life and my personally and professionally out of that, out of that deep, uh, experience of, of inner peace. Mm. And, um, and that happened within a couple months. And so I think if you can, you can have an ex like everybody's journey is different, but you know, if you can have a, if you can have a, a experience of deep inner peace in a couple of months, I would say that's, uh, some pretty good results in a couple of months. I found that I've been doing this, uh, actually, I started really diving in to this and I, I've done it a lot in the past, but really on a consistent basis since about October, mid-October. And <clears throat> so I do it almost every day. 
And one of the things that helped me in this, because, you know, my brain is always all over the place. It's 10 different places was that I created my own guided meditation. So I guide myself in a meditation when I'm having, there are days where I can just sit and meditate and contemplate and be there and be, and let, you know, like clouds, let the thoughts go by and they're gone. And then there are days where it's more difficult. So on those days, I go through my self-guided as if I'm guiding someone else. I let my higher consciousness guide myself through the meditation. And it's, for me personally, it's very profound. And the downloads and the insights that come are pretty amazing. That's awesome. I, I, I got to think a practice like this is more important now than it's ever been, um, especially because we have so little time to process everything that's coming at us all day long. And most of us don't take time to process those things. And so, you know, we might think that they don't really penetrate, but oftentimes they do, we're just not processing, right? We're just mm -hmm. thinking we're, we're Teflon. And so we're not really taking it in, um, but it does have an impact. And um, go ahead, Mike, comment on that. Yeah, I was, I was just gonna say, I, I think we're taking all of it in. We're just not conscious of what we're taking in. And I think we're, you know, we are at the, I think the power, the power of the mind is is beyond anything that we can even start to comprehend right now and uh i, I think that all of that stuff wh whatever we're feeding our mind every day consciously or subconsciously is definitely it definitely has an impact on our on our states i mean the the people that we surround ourselves with the books that we read the whatever we whatever we watch uh, whatever we, whatever we listen to and the environments that we put ourselves in all have a profound impact on our, on our subconscious minds. It's like, you know, if we want to, if we want to create changes in our life, you know, one of the, the best ways to do that and the quickest ways to do that is surround yourself with people that want the same things, right? If, you know, if you want to, going back to the that's why community is so important mm -hmm. with, within this, uh, in, in that space, whether that's just, you know, the leadership space or, or, you know, if you want to take this as far as using it as a spiritual practice, right. But just being able to surround yourself with the people that are, are on the same journey helps keep you accountable, helps, helps you stay on that path. And, uh, I think so much of our environment impacts us at a subconscious level and we don't realize it and sometimes it, it can run our lives for a long 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 time and then we we call it fate and uh when, when in reality it, it's been there all along and it's just been running our lives can you speak into the importance of self-talk i was just going to ask that question because <laughs> you and i are brains <laughs> wow because it plays a big part it does yeah, you know, I have a very uh, unpopular uh, belief on this. <laughs> so I was really big into affirmations and incantations for for a few years, and um, I never really found them useful. 
And I think, you know, there's, there's a, there's a part of our brain, you know, it's like, let's say I want to, you know, I want to, I want to make a million dollars a year, whatever it is, I'm just making this up, right? So I want to make a million dollars a year and I am making $25,000 a year, barely getting by and I'm, you know, on, on government health insurance. And, you know, if I, I start telling myself every day that, you know, I, I'm a millionaire, I'm living in a million dollar mansion and I'm driving, whatever it is, your, your ego just goes, no, you're not like none of this. It's not even close to being realistic. Right. And I think that that can create, maybe that was an extreme example. Right. But I think it, it, um, it can create this sense of, of almost like shame around it because you know that it's not even close to being real yet. And so that that is a little bit different affirmations I get than self-talk. Um, but I guess I just, I think where I'm going with this is this. My, my experience has been that it's not so much the self-talk that we need to address. I believe that The beautiful thoughts, the empowering thoughts are actually our natural state. And we just have to remove the blocks to those coming through. And so we have to work on not judging ourselves, not criticizing ourselves, um, uh, not judging what is going on around us. You know, we think that we have control over all this stuff in our lives and it's just like, it's so not true. You know, some decision that my great, 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 great grandfather made, you know, back in 1479 is somehow impacting me today. And I, I didn't have any control over that, right? And so I think what I've noticed is that when I, I practice more judge or less, less, more non-judgment, more self-forgiveness, that these empowering thoughts start to come through more. And so, you know, but again, like, I, I don't believe that, that everything works for everybody all the time. And I think, uh, I'm sure that, one, that you both want to talk about it because it probably has had a positive impact on your life in some way, shape, or form. And so I think... Um, it's, it's something, it's a practice. I think people need to, to, uh, commit to on their own, but I think just the, uh, the practice of non-judgment, it has, has created more flow, less re restriction, resistance, uh, in all areas of my life. And, uh, and, and out of that, I think a lot of those thoughts start to just flow. I would venture to say that what Alex meant, if we're on the same page, is that kind of self-judgment that we have yeah. and how that comes. Negative talk. That's to a negative ourselves. talk, right. But I think <clears throat> that that's just a turn of phrase, right? That's mm -hmm. the judgment piece. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. Uh, but yeah, no, like, so where you're going with that is, is the self-talk as far as the, I'm not good enough. I'm right. exactly this, the limiting beliefs, the limiting Lim beliefs. Right. Uh, yeah. 100%. I think that's super important. And I think, um, you know, again, going back to the awareness piece, we can't change this. 
we can't even practice non-judgment without the first step and that's awareness right right and so i think but yeah that that definitely has an impact on, on our own state and how we're showing up and and just the quality of our lives right so you know this is super cliche but it's you know our our, our lives are are a the quality of our lives are a direct reflection of what we think about all day mm-hmm. long and how we how we interpret interpret things all day long how we perceive things all day long you know did i <clears throat> i I not make this sale or did I not get this gig or whatever it is because, um, let me, let me rephrase that. You know, it's, I can have an email come through that I didn't get this gig or this job or whatever it is, but, and I can, I can internalize that and I can think, well, you know, now I don't have this. I have to get something else on my calendar, but I don't know. What if I was, I'm driving to that, that, um, that, flight and you know on the way there maybe if i'm supposed to or if i if i that didn't get canceled then i get in a car accident and all these other events unfold in my life and it's just we just don't know it's like and i think the older i get i realize that i you know i don't know anything about anything (laughs) I, i say that with in truth, you know, I really don't know anything about anything. It takes wisdom that, to get there, I think, to get to where you are. That's wisdom. Yeah, it's it's also a lot of lot of pain and learning that yeah. you're not in control of anything. It doesn't but, feel uh, like, doesn't feel like wisdom for sure. <laughs> but uh, it's I think that's what that non judgment that non judgment that stepping into that that place of humility is what creates more more flow and more uh, of these empowering beliefs to to run through right we're not in resistance to all this stuff we take this path of non-resistance to what is showing up in our lives one of the things because this has been a big part of my life for the last several months and one of the things that came to me somewhat recently was that it's not about the thing if you want something, it's not about the thing, it's about the feeling. So that's one of the things that I'm working about. You know, when, when I think about, oh, my dream home, well, it's not about the home. It's not about the, the specifics of the kitchen or the bedroom. It's about what does that feeling create when I think about that? So for me, for example, with my home, it's my oasis. It's a place of family and friends and celebration. That's what's important to me, not the mansion, you know, on the hill. It's the feeling. So those are the things that in my meditations and in my, you know, when, I, when I'm doing, working in whatever it is I'm working on and journaling, those are the things that I'm thinking about that I'm trying to be conscious of, the feelings that I want to create, that I want to focus on and live in. Just kind of curious as to your thoughts about that. I 100% agree. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people don't figure that out ever. And so that's awesome that you have. And um, I, I had, had a similar experience from the standpoint that it, I was living my life. And, and, you know, when I say living my life, like I also mean my, my work life as well. I'm not exactly, I should have asked this before who your audience is, but uh, my work life and my, my personal life, it was always, if this, then I'll be happy. If this yes. happens, then I'll be happy. If I accomplish this, then I'll be happy. 
And it was, you know, I went from when I had my basketball training business, I have to, I have to work out really high level high school basketball players. And then I had to work out college players. And then I had to work out division one college players. And then I had to work out professional players. And then I had to work out NBA players. And I finally got to the point where I was like, none of this actually makes me any happier. And, um, you know, what I realized is that again, exactly what you said was that we're not actually chasing that thing. We're actually chasing a feeling. And at the end of the day, I, I believe, you know, a big part of it is that we we're, we're chasing fulfillment in, in, in certain ways, but we're also chasing inner peace, which is super ironic, but that's really what, you know, once we have, and I'm not talking about if you're in survival mode and you're just trying to get by, I'm talking about you get your basic needs met and uh, you know, everything's taken care of. Like it's, it's really the inner peace that you're chasing. Right. Because it's one, at some point it should all be enough. It should all feel good. And if we're living in the present uh, and we're mindful, then it is. But if we're focused on what we don't have or what we still need, uh, then, then it isn't. And we're never, we're never finding peace because there's always something outside of ourselves that we can't get uh, yeah. because we think it's going to fulfill. Wow, that's incredibly stated. I think it's, I think the key is, you know, we're living this, maybe I'm taking this too deep, but uh, we're living this, we're living this experience as, as, you know, I don't mean to offend anybody when I say this, but like, we're, I believe we're living this experience as we're, we're spiritual beings having a human experience and we're not human beings having a spiritual experience. And I think what I mean by that is like, we have to be able to balance this experience that we're having as human beings, right? And I think it's a, it's balancing the internal and the external and being able to know that at the end of the day, what I'm really chasing is, is just that inner peace, but I'm also living this life and I'm a human being. And so I also wanna, I wanna, I wanna chase some of the, the external things, right? But I think there's a couple keys and it's to understand why you actually want something. Mm -hmm. um, going back to, you know, what we were talking about before, you get, you gotta know why, why you actually want something. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you might work five years from, for something and you get to it and it's not what you actually wanted because you didn't do that work. Um, but I think the way to, the way to sum it up, and I, I guess I would, this is a Jim Rohn quote. And, uh, he said, be grateful for all that you have while you pursue all that you want. Mm -hmm. And I think if you can live in those two states of mind at the same time, and they, even though they seem like complete opposites, but be able to balance those, I think is, is the key to a lot in mm -hmm. context of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Be grateful for what you have while you pursue all that you want. So what advice do you have? Because I personally feel that living your core values and it, it, that's to me is key. You have to, you have to live to your core values and what advice would you have for people to help them figure out what those core values are so that they, to help them focus on what it is they truly want, not the thing, but the feeling. Yeah. So I did an exercise about a long, yeah, a long time ago now, 
that it's had, it had a profound impact on me. And that exercise was writing out my own eulogy. And I did this when I was about 25 years old, <laughs> which would sound crazy. You're like 25 years old, and you're writing out your eulogy. And I wrote this out and I, and I, I realized what kind of life I wanted to have from the standpoint of, of it, none of it was about making a ton of money or any of these things. It was just about, it was about impact. Mm -hmm. And I think once you figure out what you want people to say about you, when you're gone, you get clarity on how you need to show up in the moments that are happening right now, right in front of you. Mm -hmm. And I think the power in this is, you know, it's, I like to think of it as, as legacy, right? And the power in, in legacy is not what you get 20 or 30 years from now. It's about, I get clarity on the values that I need to show up with, the principles that I need to show up with uh, in, you know, in this moment, starting today, right now, not five years from now, 10 years from now. And so I think writing that out is a, is a great way to get clarity on some of your values and figure out what those are and, and why they why they mean something to you. Um, I think that's a great place to start. I love that. It love sounds that. like a, a great place to start. It's it sort of shocks the system, doesn't it? Makes you think about something that most of us don't even think about. Uh, at least until we get to a certain point in our lives when we're sort of forced to think about it. Um, but it does sort of, it puts the end right in front of you and makes everything more compelling and urgent. So it's a really great way to shock the system. That was the first exercise that you did, Mike? That was the one that probably had the most impact on me. Um, being super transparent, like I don't think I've ever like sat down and really created my, my values uh, from a, uh, some sort of exercise or framework around that. Um, but I think, I think the, that exercise really just brought front and center how I wanted to show up every day. Mm. What you want people to say about you, right? I mean, essentially what, what you want to be known for, what, what you want to, the impact, what you want to leave. Yeah. Yeah. you want to pass on yeah right it makes you look at your life in a much broader context uh it's wow i i'd be afraid to even do it at, at this point and i'm at a point where you know eulogy would be very hey watch appropriate it now. to have in the back watch you know, it now in the filing cabinet um you have a question, Alex? No, I was just going to say when I, I love that you what you just said, because when I was 23, my employer I was working in advertising, which I sucked at um, <laughs> in my big time. Um, and my my boss, who was my friend, asked me. What's a goal of yours? What's what's a, a long reaching goal for you? And I said, I want to be the type of person that my grandkids look at and they're proud of. I want to be the person that my grandchildren are proud of. So now I think about that often because now when I'm faced with making a difficult decision, making a transition in my life, any kind of change, 
I think I look at my daughter and go, what would her reaction be? And I'm not basing it on a judgment from her. It's would this be from her perspective, knowing her as well as I do, is this something, is this act, if I take this leap of faith or this, do this courageous thing, how is she going to, how is she going to look at me? And I let that feeling guide me. And if I go, she's going to go, my mom's a badass. Yeah, it's the right decision. You know, if I'm, if I'm timid or afraid to do something and I think about that, it helps guide me. And again, it, it, it really isn't from, is she going to judge me one way or the other? Cause she isn't, but down the road, she's like, wow, my mom did that. Even if it's a simple little thing that most of us would think is a nothing decision, but that's kind of swirling in my head. And it, it's a, it's for me personally, it's a compass point. Yeah. I think that's, that's a great perspective a way to look at it. It's like, you know, whether you're, you know, the example that you're giving leading as a parent, right? You, we are going to get from our, our children, from the people that work for us, we're going to get from them what we model. And, uh, yes. you know, it's like you have to, and this goes back, tying this back to mindfulness, have to be aware of what, what am I modeling for my kids? What am I modeling for the kids that I coach, the people that I, that I, that work with me, what am I modeling? How am I, how am I showing up every day? And I have to have awareness of that uh, because they will, you know, there's, there's research around it, around um, it's called uh, matching and mirroring mm -hmm. where, right. Our brains literally start to mimic the patterns of it's, it's, it's why, uh, you know, maybe you, you just, got into a relationship or something, you're spending a ton of time with somebody and you notice that you start to, uh, start to say some of the same phrases that they, or use some of the same phrases that they use, or even like mimic some of their, their, uh, their posture, their body language or different things. It's because our brain is, is, you know, going back to what Anthony was talking about before, you know, with, with everything that we have to process, we're processing all that stuff. And, uh, you will start to, to exhibit the behaviors of the people that are leading you, uh, which is why it's so important to be aware of what you're, what you're modeling. Well, and that's also mirroring is, a, is kind of one of the foundations of NLP. You know, when you want to achieve something, you start to mirror those people that, that are like who you want to be right. or have the things and are achieving the things that you want. Mm -hmm. In a, in a, you mirror them in a uh, robust way, not in a superficial way. It's not like uh, you're pretending to be somebody, you're mirroring specific uh, characteristics, traits, right? You're not just dressing the part is what I'm getting at, I guess. Uh, it's a deeper dive. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So Mike, you've been, you've been, you've been speaking at events for a number of years now. What are your, um, what are your takeaways when you, or what do you hope your takeaways to be when you, when you speak at an event? Well, everybody asks me that and especially, you know, meeting planners or event planners or association 
I feel uh, so calm. I feel so calm and cheap right now. <laughs> well, it's the okay, reason but... I say that is I've never given the same talk twice. And so the takeaways are, are a little bit different. Uh, but I think, you know, at its core, some of the stuff they talked about, about earlier is really unleashing the, the energy of purpose. It's about uh, being able to, to stay future focused. Uh, what I mean by that is being able to operate with vision and to operate with optimism, mm -hmm. uh, being able to unlock the power of the process. You know, we, we all, we all want things in our life, but a lot of us, myself included at times, don't have the discipline and consistency to build a momentum in order mm -hmm. to create them. And by focusing on the process, we start to, uh, to unlock a lot of those things. Um, and then, and a lot of it also, uh, a big component of it is some mindfulness practice and really using a mindfulness practice in order to elevate these other competencies that, that we're teaching throughout the program. So, you know, if I want to work on, I want to focus on purpose, if I want to focus on adopting a different belief that I want to instill, if I want to focus on being, being future focused, unlocking the power of the process, right? All those things, you know, you can you can walk away and implement them, and they're going to have an impact. But um, a mindfulness practice actually elevates all of these. You know, there are areas of your your brain uh, when we pick up a mindfulness practice, when we commit to it, that start to to physically change. I think as Alex was uh, talking about earlier, mentioned earlier, right? There's you know an area in the front called your neocortex, and that is uh, responsible for a lot of your executive function. So your self-awareness, your decision-making, and your focus. Well, if I elevate my self-awareness, my decision-making, and my focus, I'm going to be way better at being future-focused. I'm going to be able to operate with more vision. If I need to do that with optimism, I'm going to be able to do that by being more aware of where my, where my uh, attention and energy is, right? Um, it's just, it's a, it's, it elevates all of these other skills. And so bring that into to almost every program that we do as well. And elevate meaning making them more accessible, making them easier to, uh, you know, uh, grab onto in, or, or just, can you, can you elaborate? I there yeah. Right? Yeah. I think they just, they, they take them to another level. Right. So the example, I guess the first one is if I want to, if I'm a, if I'm going to focus on the process, if I want to really like unlock this power of the process. If I don't have focus, if I can't focus on the process, I'm not, if I'm doing things here and there or when I feel like it, and I'm not focusing on the process every single day, I'm not going to get consistent results. Mm -hmm. And so if I can create more focus through a mindfulness practice, now I'm, I'm elevating my ability to lock in on the process, which mm -hmm. is going to drive the consistency the, and the momentum. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's at the end of the day, it's people who are in love with the process who usually do the best in life because they're so into the process. It's not about the result. It's about the work. Um, yes. So yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I've never been able to be one of those people because my mind just 
you know, bounces around like a basketball, even though I, I've never played the sport. Um, so I do have a lot of uh, a lot of respect and admiration for people who get into the process, like painters, for example, uh, who spend countless hours on a painting, or uh, directors, you know, who spend countless hours making sure that the moment is shot in the most precise way uh, and, you know, you become so consumed by that, if you will. Um, you know, could be dangerous too, too much focus, you know, but I do find that really impressive and admirable. Can I ask you a question though, Anthony? As an actor, what about mm -hmm. rehearsal process? How oh my God. Ugh. Oh, see, I love rehearsal. That's my favorite Ugh. part of the whole thing. I, I can think, forgo the performances. I love the rehearsal. I think once it's blocked <clears throat> and once it's up and once, you know, you're, you're developing moments, uh, then it's a bit more fun. But getting it in the body and all of that work is the process. The process. The process. Yeah. Right. That's hard. It, yeah. No, it really is. And it's, it, it's, I think, I think as there, there's such a misconception over, you know, what that actually is. And it's like, it, it is doing a lot of the stuff that you don't like doing. And it's, uh, you know, where was I going with this? I guess, you know, going Anthony, you know, I, I would say like to you, you might, you might have, you've absolutely, you've built like successful business, right? Your, your, your process just might look different than what is typically defined as the process, right? Um, but I think that's why it's so important to have vision, right? If we don't have, have vision of, of, of what I'm trying to create, it's really difficult to, to really lock in on, on a process in order to bring that vision to life. Mm -hmm. And so I think, uh, that's, you know, people are struggling with that. People are struggling with focus. They're, they're struggling with the process. You really have to get clear on the vision first. And then I can reverse engineer my choices that I'm making every single day in order to bring that vision to life. It's very like smart that. thinking. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's beyond my pay grade, that kind of thinking. This is why we bring you to events. It's that kind of wisdom that we need. Uh, so it took me a long time to figure that out. Well, it's interesting that you'll you'll find that most people don't even take the route, right? They don't even go down the road, and so you're already you know ahead of the game. What's next for you in terms of um, speaking gigs or um, shifting your own mind? What's what's next? That's a great question. You know, I think it's, it's really, for me, it's, for me, what's next is continuing to practice the, some of the things that we talked about already. And it's just the non-judgment, the practicing the non-resistance, just accepting what is in the moment, not in, in, in a victim role way, but in a, a accepting what is so that I can I can focus on what I actually can control. And I think, uh, I think for me, it's like when I, 
when I do the work on myself, then all the other things start to unfold. Mm. And so I try not to, yeah, at a high level, I have this, have this vision of what I, what I'm trying to build for, for my business, for my life. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's, it's being able to do the work and then completely emotionally detach from whatever the outcomes are. And I think for me, it's, that's the practice and that's what's next for me. That's awesome. That's really awesome. I'd like to do the same thing. It's not, it's not always easy to detach emotionally, but um, it's good. It's a good place to put some energy in. Uh, thank you for that. I might take that up myself. Maybe look to you for some uh, some hints. Yeah, I think your journey will be much faster than mine. Well, it's a practice, just like all the other stuff that we've been talking about. It's a and, practice. Uh, I'm far from an expert at it, but I'm better than I was five years ago. Right. That's all that matters. Really, you're better than you were yesterday, right? Hopefully. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. No, and I think that really is the point is no, nobody's perfect. None of us are. And those of us who uh, can sit comfortably in that knowledge and understand that we're works in progress and doing the best that we can every day. And that best is going to be different every day. Some days it's going to be the best, best you've ever been. And some days it's going to be the worst, best but you're still trying your best. That's, that's really all anybody can ask. And um, having a little compassion and empathy for yourself could be the start to having it for other people as well. You find that that's really cyclical, right? The most judgmental among us are the ones who judge ourselves the most. And so it's, it's an interesting connection that we don't always understand, I think. And once we come, when that comes to light, wow. Hmm. Now I understand why uh, I am so concerned about the way I look because I am so judgy about the way other people look or vice versa. Yeah. Getting rid of all that frees yourself. A lot. Yeah, no question. I've definitely noticed, you know, my own life, the more, the more stressed I am, the more I'm judging myself. And then in turn, the more I'm, I'm judging other people. And I think uh, yeah. it goes, you know, but it goes back to the awareness piece. Mm -hmm. Do I actually have awareness of this? And if I do, then I can, then I can empower myself by breaking this pattern that I'm in and changing my state. And until I have that, I don't have the ability to break the pattern to change my state. And then I'm, I'm, I, then I am a victim of the world versus empowering uh, myself in order to show up in the world. Right. That's right. And then everything that you think and feel is because of somebody else, or at least that's the perception rather than being able to take responsibility and accountability for the things that you bring to life on your own because mm -hmm. you are aware of yourself. We need to have you back so that we can talk further about yes. this because it's, um, it's important, you know, yes. and uh, it's, it's not only important for the people around you, but it's important for yourself. And it's, it's a healthier way to live.
100% agree. More than happy to come back. Thank you. Uh, any famous last words before we, we let you uh, off to your life of leisure? <laughs> I say that jokingly. I'll repeat, I guess, a quote that I shared earlier because it just has, you know, I think it's so relevant to everything that we're going through today. And that's, you know, the quote from Jim Rohn is just be grateful for what you have while you pursue all that you want. Yes. And I think if you can, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking that I need to get this printed and put right in front of my computer because I just think it's, it's the key to so much stuff. It's like, it's, if we can just find some things to be grateful for in the day and still chase after, after the other things, you know, because at the, at the end of the day, it's like, we don't only just want to find this inner peace, right? Because then it's going to get kind of boring. We're still living this human life. Right. We have to have something to go after something because it's in that it's in the progress where we find the happiness. It's not actually in the end results. It's in, in the, the micro improvements, the little process or the little improvements, the, the progress that we make each day where we find that, that fulfillment. And so I think be grateful for what you have while you pursue all that you want and more than happy to, to continue the conversation offline with anybody. Thank you, Mike Lee, mindshiftlabs.com, mindshiftlabs.com. Look for him and uh, book him too. He's an excellent speaker. Uh, thank you, Mike, for joining us today and enlightening us. Yes, thank you so much. I've loved this conversation. Thank you. So did you uh, enjoy the conversation with Mike? Oh, please. That's my jam, baby. That's my jam. That's, that fits right in with all my woo-woo work. So. I figured. Yeah. You know, and people might be wondering why we're talking about it, uh, you know, with a platform that's meeting events, engagement, entertainment. But uh, not only is he a speaker, the mindfulness work is appropriate work for us in this industry. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just... We deal with a lot of craziness and we deal with a lot of stress. And uh, I think many of us know when we're going into these stressful situations and uh, we have an opportunity with mindfulness work to sort of get ahead of it, if you will, and not let it uh, consume us so much. It enables us to prepare for those moments and uh, really be our best selves because uh, it's stressful and it's not any less stressful. It's more stressful and it's only going to become only going to become more stressful time, time based deadlines, you know, work deadline based work, I should say, is um, <laughs> becoming more stressful. So uh, mindfulness practice. Start one. I encourage you to start one. And uh, that's all we have today. That's it for this beautiful Monday in spring. Actually, Tuesday. It's Tuesday. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, if you enjoyed us, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Uh, and if you're listening anywhere else, please tell your friends and keep listening. If you have a question or a concern, anything you'd like to discuss with us, just go to bolada.com, find the podcast tab, and leave us your message there. We're going to leave you today. We thank you, and we say goodbye. Goodbye. Stay engaging. <laughs>